0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. I am really excited with the series that you all are doing because it's a very important thing. We live in a culture that throws us a lot of crazy messages about relationships. And it's good to think biblically about what those really are. Um, So it's nice to be here. It's been a long time. I love what you've done with the place. It's very nice. Very beautiful. Um, And as Bob mentioned, I have a few children. My wife Janet and I have been married for 20 years. And uh, we have three kids. Our oldest is 15. Our next is 14. And then we have a 12-year-old. So we've got a high schooler, a couple middle schoolers. So I'm taking a lot of drugs right now. I'm really trying to get through this season. (laughs) Our oldest, when she became a teenager, we got her a little card to say, hey, welcome to the teenage years and stuff, and she was a little bit disturbed by that. She's like, Dad, don't call me a teenager, okay? I don't want to be called a teenager. I don't want to be known as a teenager, okay? So don't even use the word teenager around me. I'm like, well, don't act like a teenager then, okay? You know? <laughs> So we kind of got that going on, and so we're trying to help our kids understand how they, who Christ is, and what role He plays in their life, and even as it relates to our topic today, the idea of what's ahead of you, what's ahead of your future—is marriage a part of it? Is it not a part of it? And regardless of it is, what does that mean for you? And uh, what I want us to do is I want us to think about that topic, think about the idea of singleness. Now I know there's people in this room who are younger and they're single. And the idea of staying single is fine with you. The idea of getting married to you, honestly, is kind of like, ew, (laughs) why would I get married? Ew, you know? So you're kind of fine with where you are. Some of you, as you are getting older in your singleness, you're not so much as fine with that. And maybe you are more open to God moving in that area of your life. And some of you maybe have been wanting that for a long time. And maybe this is a difficult thing to talk about. It's a difficult thing to be honest about. And some of you have been single for a very long time. And could very well say that God has put you there and maybe that's where you'll stay. So I realize that this can be a difficult topic to discuss. Some of us have been married and now we're newly single. Maybe you're divorced and you're back out there, so to speak. And you're reeling from that and you're trying to figure out your life right now. And some of us maybe uh, are here who have been married before and our spouses have gone on to be with the Lord already. So all of us are touched by this on some level. And even that, if you're not single here, do you know a single person? Raise your hand if you know a single person. Yes. So I hope that our time talking about and thinking about singleness will help all of us understand that world better and how God might use us in that particular world. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians and the New Testament part of your Bible. Um, I always get lost when I'm up front reading the Bible. So... Uh, about the middle is the psalms so hit the middle and go right for a while you'll find first corinthians Uh, i am going to bounce around in quite a few spots if you have the notes uh, you'll see some verses at the top here i'll do my best to get us through this outline so you'll know where i'm going but if you're reading along in your bible i'll kind of tell you where i'm jumping if you don't have a bible no problem we've got the the verses up here on the screen but paul was writing to this church He started this church, visited this church on one of his missionary journeys, and now he's writing and having correspondence with them. And so we get to read other people's mail. We get to see what they were talking about and what was the concerns on the hearts of the people at this church. So let's start, chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Jumping to verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner, and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Jumping to verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And finally, at the end, verse 39, he says, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Well, that is a lot of verses. We're not going to get through every single thought that's in there. But I want us to be familiar with that section of scripture because this is probably the longest place where Paul talks about this concept of married and unmarried. And what does it mean? What does it look like? How do we see ourselves? Or how does someone who's not married think of their life? So it's good for us to spend some time thinking about that. What I want to do in the time that we have together is I want to look at three big ideas. What I want us to think about, first of all, is what does the Bible say about singleness? Does it have something to tell us or say about the idea or concept of singleness? Secondly, what does the Bible say to singles? If you're here and you're not married, what would the Bible say to you in this season of your life? And then lastly, is to conclude with some practical thoughts on how is it that the church can encourage those who aren't yet married, who aren't married. So those are the big ideas of where we're going to go on our outline, okay? So first of all, what does the Bible say about singleness? First of all, is that singles are spiritually complete spiritually complete if you belong to jesus christ that's it you don't need to be married you don't need to have children there's nothing lacking in your life there's nothing lacking of significance from god if you belong to jesus christ you are absolutely 100 percent complete in him colossians 2 10 paul goes on to write to the colossians church he says that in christ you have been made complete and what's interesting is the tense that he uses there. He uses this past tense. In other words, when you became a Christian, this is what happened to you when you became a Christian. And guess what? You are still complete today. Regardless if you're married or not, you were complete. And that's the crazy thing about the gospel. Is that for people who are born and made in God's image, which is every human being, God cares about us. But he cares enough to send his son to deal with our sin problem. And because of what Christ has done, now we can belong to him and restore that relationship. And when we have a right relationship with God, everything is right. Everything is complete. I don't know if this phrase hits you in the song, but it really hit me in that last song that we sang. Is that in his presence, we are made whole. Oh, there's something amazing about knowing that God sees you warts and sin and frustrations and your ugliness. He sees everything about you and says Christ paid for everything in your life. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees his son Jesus and he looks at us and he says, you are my daughter. You are my son in whom I take all of my delight. So if a person's not married and belong to Christ, they are 100% complete. Completeness is in God's eyes, has nothing to do with marital status. The second idea is that singles have the same status as married people, in God's eyes. They're not at a lower status at all. They have the same status. We're called brothers and sisters if we belong to Christ. The Bible doesn't say, well, here's the married group over here, and here's the single group over here. Oh, I'm sorry, you have the single t-shirt. You've got to stay on that side of the room. It's like, no, you get the brother shirt or the sister shirt, and that's it because we're all in one family. And what's crazy about this idea is that before Jesus came, the Jewish culture and other surrounding cultures put all the value and significance on you as a person based on your marital status. If you were married, you were somebody. You had achieved. You had arrived. You had standing. If you weren't married, you're like, hmm, you know. If you had kids, even better. Maybe you remember some places in the Old Testament where there were single women like Ruth. It's like, oh, I got to get married. I got to find a guy. I got to find a guy, you know. And Naomi, excuse me, not Ruth, but Naomi helping her along. About women who didn't have children and felt ashamed because they didn't have children. Like, I don't measure up because I don't have kids. Like in the story of of Christ at Christmas time, when we read about John the Baptist, okay? His mom, Elizabeth the Baptist, didn't have any kids. I don't know if the Baptist is her last name, but we call him John the Baptist. Don't know why it wouldn't be Elizabeth the Baptist, but you know. But Elizabeth the Baptist had no children, and she had no children for a very, very long time. And all the people down at the temple at the water cooler, when she'd walk in and say, oh, that's Elizabeth, she has no children, oi. I wonder what's wrong with her, you know? I see her in the temple all the time. She reads her scriptures all the time. There must be sin in her life. Oh, cool. I would hate to be like Elizabeth the Baptist. You know, they just had this social thing going on. But the Bible says, no, it doesn't work that way. In God's eyes, if you belong to Jesus Christ, there's no more status you're going to get. And what's crazy about the idea of thinking that, well, you have to be married to be somebody in God's eyes, what does that say about Jesus? (laughs) He wasn't married. How's that going to work? What does it say about Paul, the leading theologian of the Christian faith? He wasn't married. As a matter of fact, in this passage, he says three times, I wish you would be like me. It's like, I, I enjoy my singleness. I'm maximizing the singleness. God has put me here. I wish you could be like me. He wasn't ashamed or embarrassed of his state in life. So that doesn't work to think that if you're single and not married that somehow God in the Bible looks down on you. That's just not true. We have to remember that as the Bible talks about the big picture for both singles and married, singles and marrieds both have the exact same purpose. There's one purpose for our life. When I got out of college, I started working with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew, and I was up in Seattle at the University of Washington. And uh, as a young guy, I'd get to know a lot of people. I'd do summer missions projects. I'd get to know more people. And as I kept working with Campus Crusade more and more, I started to get wedding invitations from all my friends. And so one season, I got like 23 wedding invitations. I'm like, whoa, what are these people drinking? And where can I get some, (laughs) you know? The next year is about 19 or 20 invitations and i'm getting up in years here i didn't get married till i was 32 years old 32 years old my first child came at 36 my last child came at 40 i'm going to be using a walker getting down the aisle of my daughters and all right oh hey what up what up you're on my honey you're on my air hose get off my air hose you know i'm a real late starter here but i called this friend of mine a guy who's a mentor in my life, and still is a mentor in my life. His name's Walt. He's a guy who just loves the Lord. He knows so much about the Bible. And I'm talking with him, and I'm processing just the pain and frustration of being a single guy in my late 20s and on into my early 30s. I'm like, Walt, am I doing something wrong? Is God not blessing me? I used to say that my life verse at that time was John 123 23a. I'm the voice of one man crying alone in the wilderness. Okay. It was, a- it was actually John the Baptist who used it referring to himself, but I thought, hey, that's me, baby, <laughs> you know. And I'll never forget what my friend Walt said. He said, Ben, God has one purpose for your life. That's to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And there are two ways he'll do it, marriage or singleness. It doesn't matter to him. What matters to him is that you grow and become more like Christ. So when the Bible talks about this idea of singles, it's, it's not really a category. It's not like a thing that you're in or and it's bad or it, it, it doesn't. It's not really a category. It might be where you are now, but there's something so much bigger to our life than our marital status. Well, what does the Bible then say to singles? What is it that the Bible might have to say specifically to singles? There's three things that I think that come from this passage and things that we should understand about singles. First of all, the Bible's saying clearly to enjoy your freedom. Singles have a tremendous amount of freedom. And if you're here single and you're spending all this time feeling like you're in the penalty box or you're in detention or you're in social purgatory and it's just like, I'm just dying to get out of here. You're not really seeing the freedoms that you have that this is where God has you and he's giving you a tremendous amount of freedoms There are a lot of challenges being married a lot of crazy challenges Marriage is a very complex relationship Matter of fact look what Paul is saying in our passage in verse 33 He tells them that marries are concerned about things of this world how he may please his wife his interests are divided. He says in verse 28, Yet such married people will have trouble in this life. Married people, have you ever had trouble in your life being married? Yeah, I have. He says, listen, you will have trouble in this life. I'm trying to spare you, you know? It's like Paul knew that there's a progression. First comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, then comes the suffering. He, he knew that. He was like, he's <laughs> trying to say, yeah, help, let me help you here. I kind of think that Paul, on a few occasions, you know, when he was at Luke's house, because we went on these missionary journeys, he was with Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke was married. I got to believe when they stopped up at Luke's house for supplies, that he kind of overheard some conversations, you know? Like, when Luke and his wife were in the next room, you know, and he overheard things like, what do you mean you're going on a third missionary journey this summer? You promised to take the kids to the Dead Sea this summer and watch them float like logs, Okay. <laughs> And we haven't visited my parents in Pergamum for over two years, you know. And every time you leave home, the camel always breaks down. You know, it's like, (laughs) Paul's probably going, huh, that's different. I don't have any of that, you know. I'm trying to be silly about making the wife a nag. That's just a caricature. But I'm just saying that there's complexities to married life. And Paul says, I'm trying to spare you. You have tremendous freedom right now. He says, singles, you have a gift. And married people have a gift. And the idea of the gift, some people are going, look, I've got that gift. I've had that gift. I'd like to exchange that gift. (laughs) Where's the return line, please? (laughs) You know? But the gift doesn't mean that you enjoy every single ounce of it. Like, oh, I just love being single. I just, I wake up every morning going, I get to be single again today. I get to go to bed all by myself every night and say, yes, you know? There's a great line from Nacho Libre that I can't pull out of my head right now, but it's something like that. So... But what Paul is saying is that there's a freedom that you have. Enjoy what that freedom is. Learn how to pursue your relationship with God. Experience what that's like to have Jesus as your perfect spouse. Because he is. And for all of us who are married, we know there are no perfect spouses. And we have to learn how to make Jesus our perfect spouse too. So singles... Do what everyone's doing, learning how to trust him and enjoy him and follow him and understand how richly and deeply he loves you. Do you know that God is crazy about you? He is. He's crazy about you. Psalm 139 says that that I can't even count, like grains of sand, I cannot count the thoughts that you have towards me, O Lord. God is crazy about you. And as a single person if you're spending all of your energy saying oh I don't want to be here and ignoring this opportunity Keep getting to know your savior You're going to be missing something beautiful that paul says So enjoy that freedom develop that freedom the freedom that you have to go wherever god wants you to go To do whatever god wants you to do When my wife and I talk about summer missions, it's like it's it's like this unfortunately. Well, i'm gonna go here Well, I'm gonna go here Now that's where god has us and we have to work that out as a part of our journey But if you're a single person and you want to go to Cambodia for 10 days and do some trip, man, you get to go and just go and trust the Lord with that. There is a quote from a book called uh, The Meaning of Marriage that I'd like to read for you. Uh, It's by Tim Keller, and he is a uh, pastor in New York. And he's written a book called The Meaning of Marriage. I use this in a seminary class that I teach. And he's got a great chapter in here for singles. And I want us to just read what he has to say about perspective for singles. He says, even the best marriage cannot by itself fill the void in our souls left by God. Without a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Christ now, and hope in a perfect love relationship with Him in the future, married Christians will put too much pressure on their marriage to fulfill them. And that will always create pathology in their lives. If Christian singles don't develop a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Jesus, they will put too much pressure on their dream. Of marriage, And that will create pathology in their lives as well. However, if singles learn to rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ, that means they will be able to handle single life without a devastating sense of being unfulfilled and unformed. And they might as well tackle this spiritual project right away. Why? Because the same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single lives will eventually distort their married lives if they find a partner. So there's no reason to wait. Demote marriage and family in your heart. Put God first and begin to enjoy the goodness of single life. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, this is where God has you. Enjoy every moment of it. Experience that freedom. Use that gift to follow him and love him and serve him. And really take advantage of the season of life that you have. That's one thing that the Bible would say to singles. A second thing that the Bible would communicate to singles is the idea of Number two, be realistic about marriage. Be realistic about it. Dr. Keller had a great quote about sometimes we put this dream of what marriage is going to be like or what we hope it will be like. And sometimes the longer that a person's single, the longer they just build this big hope and expectation of what they want it to be. And Bob and I and Judy and my wife, when we do marriage conferences, one of the biggest things we have to talk about is unpacking those expectations. Because it's those expectations we bring in that can destroy marriages. And so for single people, learn about married life. Don't follow what the culture says. The culture says that marriage is all about how someone makes you feel. And if they make you feel wonderful and make you feel wonderful most of the time and kind of lift your spirits and all these other things, then that's the person to marry. And what do most people do when they lose those feelings? They leave, don't they? But the culture has presented this picture of, no, marriage is about these wonderful feelings all the time, about finding a soulmate, about someone who understands you perfectly, that you're like this, you're, you're just, you're meant for each other. And that's not a true picture of what the journey of marriage is about. Where do we get pictures like this? We get them from all kinds of places. I actually want to show you where we get one of them. This is taken from a movie called Frozen. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this movie. Um, It's kind of a not-very-well-known movie right now. But this is a scene where uh, the the sister, is it Anna, gets a chance to meet this other guy at this party. Let's watch this. Have how many brothers? Twelve older brothers. Three of them pretended I was invisible. Literally. For two years. That's horrible. (laughs) It's what brothers do. And sisters. Elsa and I were really close when we were little, but then one day she just shut me out and i never knew why i would never shut you out okay can i just say something crazy i love crazy all my life has been a series of doors in my face and then suddenly i bump into you i was thinking the same thing because like i've been searching my whole life to find my own place and maybe it's the party talking, or the chocolate fondue. <laughs> but with you, but with you, I found my place. I see your face. And, and it's, it's nothing, nothing like I've ever, ever known, known before. before. Love, love is an open love. Crazy, We finish each other's... Sandwiches! That's what I was gonna say! I've never met someone Who thinks so much like me! Jinx! Jinx again! Our mental synchronization Can have but one explanation You and I Were just meant to be Say goodbye Say goodbye To to the pain of the past past. We don't have to feel it anymore Love Love is an open door. door Open door. Life can be so much more. With you. With you. With you. With you. Open door. Door. Can I say something crazy? Will you. With you. With you. you. Now, I love this movie, okay? I'm sorry, I, I didn't sing all of it, but I could have. <laughs> there's several reasons I like this movie. One, there's almost a sense in which Disney's making fun of itself, okay? Honestly, with that song. Secondly, is in this movie, you see that that song wasn't true. Spoiler alert, sorry, spoiler <laughs> alert. But, but you get to watch as the viewer, and especially little children, and especially little girls... That it's one thing to say a certain thing and feel a certain way, but it's a whole nother thing on how you act. And we are willing so much to buy into the idea of romance and romanticism and all that stuff. And don't hear me poo-pooing all of it, okay? There's a very godly part of romance that is real. God's made men and women in his image. There's a natural sense in which people are drawn together. But when that's worshipped as an idol— when we were meant to be, that you will take away all of my pain. When we have that kind of myth, we're setting ourselves up for failure because we're making marriage into an idol. And as a single person, it's good to keep learning about what marriage really is and be in a spot where as you're watching these movies, you go, ah, that feels cool, and that moment would be nice, but I know that's not all it is. I know there's more to it than that. And I know I need to make a decision based on bigger things than just how I feel in this moment. So marriage is a lifelong challenging journey that's got some beautiful places. It's got some very difficult places, but it's a lifelong challenging journey that you want to go on, or if you go on it, with someone who's like-minded and who is a believer. Paul says at the very end of this passage to widows, he says, you are free to get married, but only in the Lord. If you take Jesus Christ seriously, if you really want to walk with him, then be with somebody who really wants to walk with him, that cares about the same things you care about, that wants to pursue him the same kind of ways. Now, I think every single person is vulnerable to compromising in that area. I think it might be the case maybe a little bit more for women, not sure, don't want to be sexist. But my daughter, excuse me, my sister, when I was in college, got involved in a Sunday school class. And the Sunday school class had about six or seven women in it. And the men never came because the Sunday school class was entirely for women who were there without their husbands. These were women who knew they were marrying somebody who wasn't a believer. And they thought they could change him or fix them or over time God would use them. But 30, 40 years after marriage, he still wants nothing to do with Jesus. And so as a single person, as you're kind of out there thinking, ask yourself, what's most important to me and the person that I want to be with? And make that the priority. Is how are they doing in their own relationship with God? And is Christ the center of your friendship and relationship? So singles need to um, enjoy their freedom. They need to be realistic about marriage. The third thing that Paul talks about in this passage, he talks about the idea that they need to develop their sexual self-control develops sexual self-control he talks about the realities he says because of immoralities the term that's used there is a term called pornea It is a broad term about sexual temptation and sexual experience and our culture has a broad experience about sex don't we our culture is whacked about sex our culture says sex is like a recreational thing it's a recreational thing you do it's like playing racquetball okay it's got no bigger meaning it's fun you do it with somebody blah 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 Okay, The Bible doesn't present it that way at all. My wife Janet was at a doctor's office a little while ago and she saw a teenager who wore a shirt that said, it's just sex. And that's what the culture says. The Bible says it's nothing like that. This is an incredibly beautiful, incredibly complex, incredibly holy experience that God has designed. And let me give you a definition. It's the idea that sex was created by God to emotionally and spiritually bind a husband and a wife in lifelong unity. There's something about that experience that is a binding process that God has created to where people are emotionally and spiritually bonded together. And that's why God says, wait till you're married. Wait till you have the commitment to each other legally verbally formally before you start to get the experience of being committed to each other emotionally and spiritually it is fascinating to me how modern science is showing what the bible has been saying for years i want to read a quote for you this is going to be a little bit heady so hang in there if you haven't had your coffee or your donut you might go man that's a big word (laughs) so hang in there i'll try to summarize it a little bit but this is taken from a book called how the brain changes itself by norman doidge And he's talking about the sexual experience as a neuroscientist. He said oxytocin is sometimes called the commitment neuromodulator because it reinforces bonding in mammals. It is released when lovers connect and make love. In humans, oxytocin is released in both sexes during orgasm and when couples parent and nurture their children. Oxytocin induces a calm, warm mood that increases tender feelings and attachment and may lead us to lower our guard. A recent study shows that oxytocin also triggers trust. What oxytocin provides is the ability for two brains in love to go through a period of heightened plasticity, allowing them to mold to each other and shape each other's intentions and perceptions the deepest meaning of sexual experience lies not in pleasure or even in reproduction, but in the opportunity it affords to surmount the solipsistic, which means extremely selfish. It gives people the chance to overcome their selfishness and opens the door, so to speak, whether or not one undertakes the work to go through. Now, that that was a big, big quote. But he's basically trying to say that how God's designed the body with sex is designed to bond people that our minds become plastic and moldable, and that other person, we drop our guard and we kind of trust, and they mold our perceptions, and we mold their perceptions. And if we're doing all that molding before we're committed to each other, or somebody who's not mature in the Lord, somebody we're doing this before marriage, it's going to hurt us. And that's why God says, "I'm trying to spare you." He created. It. He's not saying, "Oh gosh, that's wrong." He's think it's wrong there. <laughs> So si- singles need to develop that sense of self-control. They need to have a sense where they're going to draw the line. That if you're dating someone right now, where do you draw the line physically? How far are you going to allow yourself to go? It's good to think about that before you get there, because <laughs> when you're in the moment, you're not going to think clearly. You know, you might be c- praying for clarification, but you're not going to get much. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm praying, I'm not getting anything. Okay, Brrr, ah, you know, it's just like ah, <laughs> you know. I don't know. If you're not dating somebody, it's the same. If God brought someone along and you're in a dating relationship, how far are you going to go? Draw some lines before you get there. Find some people to help you as you talk about things, especially if you have struggles. Because the more that we do, the more we're going to have a, a more integrity in our life. We're going to have a greater sense of commitment to the Lord. We're not going to have the guilt and the shame and the flashbacks and all kinds of things that God wants to help us with. There was a uh, couple that Janet and I knew at another church and they were in the youth group and a bright couple, really pretty couple. They'd been dating for about about a year. I think they were both about 19. And they had one night they got away from them. One night. And she got pregnant. And now they're faced with four choices they'd never even thought about. One is let's rush to get married. You know, that's always a little tough when you're 19. Okay, Let's give the baby up for adoption which is really tough very honorable but very tough especially for the woman Uh, we could break up and somebody can raise the baby which usually falls to the woman which usually increases their likelihood of poverty the fourth option is an option maybe they never ever would have thought of before abortion but they found themselves so stuck and so overwhelmed and God says I care about you too much to ever have you to have to face those things So when I say wait, when I say develop self-control, it's not because I don't like you or don't like it. I want you to save that for the place of marriage. So that's something that that singles can do. That's one of the things that, that God says that would be helpful as they work on their life. So lastly, how is it the church then can encourage singles? And who is the church, by the way? Is it the pastoral staff? Is it the people on the worship team? Is it the platform people? No, it's you and me, isn't it? If you call Jesus your Savior and you are walking with him, then everyone else is your brother and your sister. And God says, how is it that we encourage one another and help one another? First thing is to not see people as married or unmarried. (laughs) Just treat them like part of the family. Don't worry about the label if they're single or if they're divorced or if they're widowed. That doesn't matter, does it? You're here, you're learning about Jesus, so am I. Let me get to know you. It doesn't have to be the first thing out of your mouth is, are you married or not? (laughs) Second thing is ask people who aren't married Ask them about how they're doing with the lord One of the most natural questions when you're around a single person is what so have you found anyone yet? Oh, tell me about it. So are you in the right places? Are you out there or not? You know Because I have a friend if you need somebody you'll call me It's like almost we're obsessed with whether or not they found somebody. Don't worry about that Don't even bring it up. Let them bring it up if they're dating somebody But just treat them as part of the family, not whether or not you're in the club or not in the club. Okay? And another thing is to help them evaluate as they want you to the idea, hey, I'm dating somebody. Can we hang out as couples? I'd love to get your feedback on how we're doing. I'd like to ask you about your marriage. I'd like to learn about marriage from you. Can you open yourself up to be that kind of person for a person who might be dating someone? You know, oftentimes you want to dispense the kind of advice that isn't helpful, you know? Like, dude, she is hot. She's so hot, dude. She loves football. Come on. And she goes to church, dude. Come on. That's all you need, man. You know? It's like, okay, there's a little bit more there, you know? Or she is such a good cook. Her her mashed potatoes are so creamy. Don't let her get away, you know? We have advice that's never, you know. But can you be in a place where singles can be around you or you can ask them questions? You can ask them as they're ready for those questions. How you doing? How you thinking about this relationship? Because that's ways that we can come alongside people as members of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, to encourage each other. Because whether or not they get called together or not, we're all still called to the same thing, to be single-minded, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, Jesus to follow him, to encourage one another in following him. Well, I got a phone call from a friend. Uh, we talked a couple, about three or four days ago. And this is a guy I went to seminary with. And we graduated in 1993, and it's now 2014. And he is on furlough from his time in Cairo. Because while he was in seminary, he got this sense that God wanted him to go into the Muslim world and have an impact for Christ, which is really gutsy. That is really huge. So he's going to go all the way to Cairo. He's going to start a business and learn how to have a business and stay there and develop relationships. And he's not married. And he's never been married. And for over 20 years, he's has moving in this direction because that's where God wants him to go. And God, in his great kindness, has not brought anyone to him. And he's learning that until God does, or if God never does, I want to stay true to what God's called me to. I want to grow in my relationship. And he has an amazing freedom to come and go to Cairo, to hang out with these people over here, to go to the Red Sea over here, to be with this group, to be with that group. He can do almost anything that God lays on his heart. And when I talk with him, I'm so encouraged that he is taking... His walk with the Lord, a day-by-day thing. And he's trying to focus on the main thing and stay single-minded on Christ. Because as he does that, he helps me. And as I do that, I help him. I think that's what God wants us to do as a body of believers. I want to ask you to do something a little different, maybe. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want to just ask you a question or two to ponder, and then I will pray for us. So do you mind just closing your eyes for a second? How are you doing just in your own pursuit of knowing and serving Jesus more? What are the distractions that divide your interest? The things that steal your heart, that rob your time? Are there ways you can minimize that? And if you're here and you're not married, how are you doing in keeping the Lord first? Some days you might be better than others. But are you trying to keep him the focus and not some dreamy idea of what marriage could be, but to keep him first?